coming at you from the... This isn't the basement of the basement. This is Soldier Field in Chicago, Illinois. Welcome to the Sports Cubicle. We got a heck of a show coming up for you and one hell of a Bears game. I thought it was good anyway. I was here enjoying myself here. Ah, I'm getting a little chilly here. So Mercado, take it away. It is becoming way too commonplace for these type of endings after an exciting first four quarters of football for the Chicago Bears as they drop another exciting game, this time to the Detroit Lions, 30-31. to 31. And there's so many ups and downs, so many things to get into, and we're going to break it all down right here on the Bears post-game show on the Sports Cubicle. It's the marvelous one, Dan Marver, Devin Tingle, and Paul Shavari throughout the show. I'm your host, Mike Mercado. Thank you so much for making us a part of your day. And the now 3-7 and seven Bears have found their quarterback who did make a mistake and might have cost them, but not as much as their kicker. It just seems to be a same story, different day, but really fast. Let's get through some of these numbers so we could talk about what we saw at Soldier Field. Justin Fields goes 12 for 20, 167 passing yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. But on the ground with 13 carries, 147 rushing yards, and two rushing touchdowns. Khalil Herbert, before getting hurt, with 10 carries for 57 yards. David Montgomery, nine carries for 37. And on the receiving end, you have Cole Komet going four for 74 and two receiving touchdowns. Darnell Mooney gets four receptions for 57 on his own. Chase Claypool, only one reception for eight yards and was only on for about 20% of plays. But I also want to hit on some of these numbers, Marvelous, and get your thoughts on this. 408 total yards, 150 through the air, but 258 on the ground. And one of the big numbers that is going to be a tale of this game, nine penalties for 86 yards. Marvelous. A lot of good, a lot of bad, some frustrating, some intriguing. Your thoughts on what we saw between the Chicago Bears and the Detroit Lions? Well, you covered it all. It's pretty much the same uh, story as last week. A game in the 30s that should have been won, could have been won, it wasn't won. And, uh, I mean, the offense has been excellent. Uh, the 258 yards is, is tremendous. And, uh, and the Bears seem to have found their quarterback. 147 yards rushing for fields. So those are all good things. Uh, the bad things are they had 98 yards in penalties and inopportune times, nine penalties. And um, they were unable to convert an extra point, which Santos has been very good with. And then after the touchdown by fields, which resulted in the missed extra point, they allowed the other team to go from their own nine yard line in eight plays for the what turned out to be the winning score. So that was very unfortunate. To, uh, to to see, but uh, for a three and seven team, how can we say they're on the upswing? <laughs> it's an interesting thing. I'm so glad you brought that up. I think more than we can talk about all the stats and all the plays that we saw. You know, I think a lot of this conversation and it's going to be something we're going to have to our, adjust our football brains with how we speak about this Bears team and every single one of these outcomes for the next seven games. You know, because if you think about it. I would say it's hard to be excited about the season when you know they're not going to win a lot of games and they can't win these type of games. But the excitement of they are putting 30 points up. The guy who's doing it looks good and you are entertained for two and a half hours. 
And I wonder how Bear fans are going to be able to console themselves, to rectify that in their own brains of they're not necessary. And, and let's be 100% honest with this marvelous one. This was the best outcome for the Bears again. Their draft stock just went up. Fields balled out. We saw some passing touchdowns. He made a mistake that he can now work on. And I actually think that mistake was a good indicator of what happens when Fields either gets ahead of himself or if he's going to be able and or if he's able to forget the last play. And when he threw that interception, a dumb interception, something that we don't expect from him anymore, even though it's still a young player, we expect more from him at this point. He responds back. And, you know, Luke Getze, the offensive coordinator for the Bears, is going to take a lot of credit and going to do, I shouldn't even say take a lot of credit. He's going to do very stereotypical. That was just a play call. But we know Fields is, there are design plays for him, but he's also making magic. And I think that's something that we haven't seen in the position of quarterback ever. I mean, you could say Sid Lugman, but besides Walter Payton, right, in his position, Gale Sayers in his position, and Brian Urlacher and Devin Hester, there have not been quarterbacks that are El Mago of the gridiron like we have seen in Justin Fields. Mm -hmm. Absolutely correct. And uh, uh, you mentioned the uh, inopportune interception. Fields has really improved on getting rid of the ball when he's rather than taking a sack. But that was a case where he threw a pass that I don't know who he was looking for exactly, but looked like there were there were more uh, of the Lions jerseys that had a chance for it. So it, it just has to cut down. That was a big mistake, and it turned the game around, really. So um, that was bad. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a little bummed out by the whole thing. I mean, to, to do all that, I, mean, I guess I feel like Fields. I did all – I'm exhausted from trying to carry the team to victory, and I've scored over 30 points and two straight games, and yet I have nothing to show for it. So that's got to be very discouraging. Do you think that this is something that he's going to use as motivation, that the organization is going to use as motivation? How do you harness this for not only the rest of the season, but moving forward? I mean, can you harness this for next week against Atlanta? Can you uh, like, how can the bears take advantage of all this? Because this is a winnable game. The difference between being three at seven and four and six in today's NFL changes the entire vibes. So right. I'm wondering just what, how, how can you use this and turn it around besides just more of seeing Justin improve? Mm. Can you see improvement from the rest of this team? Does it right. matter if you see improvement for the rest of this team? Because how many of these dudes are going to be on the roster next season? Yeah. Well, you're right about that. But I mean, I, I'm looking forward for the short term. You talk about Atlanta. Mm. Well, Atlanta has a terrible run defense. In fact, against Carolina this week, they had somebody, Deonta, Foreman, have you heard of him? Yeah, Foreman, yeah. Over, a fantasy, over, a fantasy over, darling. Over 150 yards. Yeah. So if he can do 150, yeah. we should be able to do – Friels and company should be able to do 150 himself like he did today and maybe 300. But it's it's sad because I was really hoping for a win today. I mean, I didn't think they might would beat Miami. But this was – I marked this as a win. And then it's with momentum going into an Atlanta team that's struggling, and it's very unfortunate. And then they have the Jets. And I thought they'd maybe be 6-6 six and six playing Green Bay again. And maybe now it is best to try to get a high draft pick, even though I don't want them to tank. But, you know, but it's, it, I found this very discouraging, this, even more so than Miami, personally. So we are talking about this team in so many ways when it comes to the offense and how they're going to 
develop and how they respond and what we're seeing. And then the defense gets gutted. And we talk about the offseason for polls and the hundred million plus that he has in his draft picks. But when is this team? And I'm asking for anybody who's listening to us, follow us on Twitter at sports cubicle TV. Let us know. Let us know in the comment section below. If you're on youtube.com slash Mercado airwaves network, marvelous. You scouted a lot. You coached a lot. When does it start counting of this team needs to learn how to win? Because they're going to invest a lot next year. So they're going to bring in guys. They're going to bring in studs, unicorns, those guys, and hopefully take the step that Tua did with Miami and Jalen Hurts did with Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. But when do you start to learn to win? You beat New England, but you did lose to Dallas. You did lose to Miami. You have lost now to Detroit. And when does this team start learning to win? Well, you have to learn how to win by doing the right things. You have to get some first downs and then kill four minutes on the clock and you yeah. win this game. So that, that's the way you do it. You don't go three and out. And, uh, you know, it's uh, and the defense has to not allow a 91-yard drive, you know, to in, in the fourth quarter. So they, what's the answer? The answer is you have to have better technique and better and, and, and better focus on doing these things because they could have closed out this game. They really could have, and they didn't. And uh, Detroit is not exactly uh, the, the best team in the league, shall we say. And so um, that's why I'm worried about you know their morale now, frankly, because uh, this Atlanta team will have had a 10-day break because they played Thursday. They'll have plenty of time to prepare. And look what happened when the Bears had extra time to prepare for New England. So this game now worries me more than it did. <laughs> I thought this might have been another win down in the Dome in Atlanta, but uh, this team has got to be very discouraged right now because I am because you, you you pour your heart out and you don't get a win. It's, it's, that, that's, that's a killer to me. <laughs> now, would you rather this Bears team have won that game or would you have rather have seen Justin get another shot and lose the game? Where are you with where mm. he's going to be in his development? Because again, I think the outcome you can make an argument either way, but when you're watching this game, are you looking for, do you want to see, for example, Detroit score fast in those scenarios to see, okay, well, what could Justin do with one minute on the clock? What can he do with 50 seconds left? What can he do with two minutes? Are, are you watching the game like that now? I caught myself when it when, when Santos missed that field goal, wondering, well, there's a good chance now we're going to have to see fields go marching down the field and put them in field goal position at the very least yeah. are you watching it that way now when are you're doing the math and you're counting down the seconds to mm-hmm. see what kind of opportunity you're going to get to watch him once again yeah i mean particularly because santos has been automatic um and field goals for sure he still has a streak of field goals which would mean the extra point being a little bit closer should be automatic on that too that was quite surprising that i don't know if there was a problem with the hold it looked like it was okay it looked like he just shanked it frankly so that, that was bad but in terms of uh the overall ability to come back i mean it looked like they had enough time uh, and, they, and they had the necessary weapons i mean there was one play where Komet got knocked to the ground it looked, it looked like he got hurt he, i don't think he played the rest of the game it was like a few minutes left so that was discouraging because that was another weapon they didn't have and herbert was a little bit dinged up so they didn't have their full weapons on the last drive either so that probably didn't help but uh, I, I like their offense now, 
and they do the tricky things like the end around and you know pet us they do a handoff and they'll do the they're throwing the comment more so i like the diversification of the offense i think that they when they're using fields he you know he's able to run and elude everybody in a couple plays i mean he was dead to rights and he got away somehow so uh, he's really showing some amazing skill in that regard but uh you know what the bottom line is don't you w <laughs> yeah i mean it's the nfl right a win's a win it's a win is a win and when you lose and it's so close and these and you were up by a few you know by double digits heading into the second half like there was a lot of uh heading into the fourth quarter that is there is a lot of what should have been what could have been you have to close out that game and we are here actually breaking down as the chicago bears Fall to the Detroit Lions, 30 to 31, moving their record now to three and seven. Justin Fields, 12 for 20, 167 passing yards, two touchdowns and an interception. But on the ground on 13 carries, 147 rushing yards and two touchdowns. Marvelous one. I wanted to get into what we saw from the Lions for a second, just to give you an idea of how decimated this team is right now when it comes to the the defensive side and what Ryan Poles did for the future. I'm on Ross St. Brown with 10 receptions on 11 targets, 119 yards. Brock Wright, their tight end, gets a touchdown. And on the ground, they have Jamal Williams carry the ball 16 times for 59 yards and a touchdown. The Andre Swift only carries the ball six times. And, you know, this isn't a fantasy show, but very interesting to see how Dan Campbell and the offense run this with such a talented running back and such a dynamic thunder and lightning and how the the splits are, the carries are split, but he has himself a touchdown. Um, there's no hope coming. There is, we saw one big play on the, from a line, the linebacker, the kid show up and, and make a big defensive play. But I mean, it was a tough day for the secondary. Mm. Jalen had a really tough day. Like there is no, no light at the end of the tunnel for the, for this defense, right. For this season, yeah. at least. Well, what jumped out at me was a couple things that the Lions had two penalties, the whole game for 15 yards. And some might argue that, 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 that we jabbed by the, by the zebras, <laughs> you know, that's always a, an argument people make, but uh, whether it be true or not, I mean, they, uh, it was even, you know, the time of possession, it was like, and, and the total play is 59 to 58 for Lions. So uh, it was a pretty even game. And statistically, they out first down to us 25 to 19 and five of 11. They did on third down. We did six of 11. So, I mean, uh, all in all, it was a game that was there to win. They just, uh, you know, it's just unfortunate. Again, I hate to be negative, but now I'm afraid of the rest of the season in terms of their ability to win games against teams that are better than Detroit. <laughs> How much are you actually worried about wins and losses? Big picture. I know small picture every Sunday, the wins matter, right? We're fans. Whether or not we break the games down, we're fans, right? We want them to win. But how hard has it been for you? And I know you've been asked as a Bears fan to do this a lot. But particularly this season, when you actually can see that the meal is actually being cooked, you can see the turkey and Justin Fields like actually looks pretty delicious. So with that, are you okay if I were to tell you the Bears are only going to win two more games this season, would you be okay with that? I mean, normally I wouldn't be, but now, I mean, obviously your goal was to make the playoffs and that's, and I still thought it was a remote possibility until today because uh, now basically to be, they'd have to lose only one more game to finish above 500. <laughs> they'd have to go <laughs> six and one. So, and that isn't going to happen. 
So I, I think that they need to show consistent offense. And I'm not as concerned about the wins and losses anymore because, like I say, the wins and losses are important in terms of your ability to go to the postseason. And if there's no postseason, then it doesn't matter as much to me. So if you're with that outlook, what do you want to see from Justin moving forward in this aspect? We've talked mm-hmm. a lot about our hopes, but yeah. if Justin Fields, let's say this is him, right? Yeah. But there's, it's only going to be a better version of him. So whatever you think he needs to work on gets a little bit better. It, it gets a little bit more fine soon, but mm-hmm. he never becomes Justin Herbert in the pocket. Yeah. Let's say that. Let's say it's just this is him and the things he does good, he becomes great at. Are you okay with that? Because I hear a lot of people, especially after last week, heading into what we just saw against Detroit, we're poo-pooing the idea of this isn't good enough. He needs to be a pocket passer. He needs to do his. I think that that's just a, and I don't know if it's, I think, I don't know if it's people being stubborn or it's just hard to change old habits, but quarterbacks aren't the same anymore. They're just not. Now, it, it might, at the end of the day, Tom Brady might win another Super Bowl this year, right? Like, we anything can happen in the NFL. But if to get the best out of Justin Fields is to do what they're doing now, is that good enough? Can Bears fans, can NFL fans live with that? Because mm-hmm. I, I see, I find it very fascinating, just as a, a philosophy thing for the fandom, that mm-hmm. people are not okay with that. People are still not cool with, but he can't throw 340 yards and three touchdowns. But how many times have we seen Justin Herbert throw 340 yards, three touchdowns, and the Chargers can't win anything? So mm-hmm. are, do you think, would you be okay with, this is him, it's just going to get better for what he does. Right. Well, for this year, yeah. But what they need to do then is surround him with, with more weapons, another quality receiver, a better line. And the defense needs to sure up the linebacking core now. And the secondary is has been pretty well riddled with uh, the, by the other team. But our running game is good. And I think that's going to be the strength. And you'll see that next week, I think, against – the uh, Atlanta team because they're not good against the run. So that field should have a, a field's day. <laughs> and, uh, and so I expect that, but that's going to be the pattern. They're going to, it looks like that's the way they're going with establishing him as a runner and having some diversification and, you know, some, some uh, passing to the tight end, which they didn't do before. So there's a lot of things good about this, but again, this year, if we consider it gone for playoffs, I'd like to see them do whatever needs to be done in 23 to be a playoff contender. That's obviously the goal for me and should be for them. So, I mean, the coach is doing some coach talk today and it's a hard thing for him to do to talk to the press. And, you know, it's just, uh, they need to obviously make some adjustments and then on defense, particularly because now the defense is giving up 30 points a game twice in a row. (laughs) Yeah. And I I wonder how much Matt Eberflus is going to get the brunt end of this. And I I wonder how much, Ryan Poles and the front office kind of give them leeway, knowing full well that they got rid of Robert Quinn, that they got rid of Roquan Smith, that they brought in and drafted a bunch of kids to play in the secondary with Jalen, like there and 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 Eddie Jackson. Like there is a lot of I wonder a defensive specialist mm-hmm. coming into this, how he's getting reviewed for it, and how next year, and we'll find out next season how much they believe. He could coach up the talent, 
and how much he's going to need the assistance of bringing in top-tier talent for his defense. Uh, I think for Bears fans, it's it's a bummer. It's, you know, it's the equivalent of, of reeling in, putting a nice fish on the line, and it's snapping and getting back in the water right before you brought it into shore. It's just one of those things. You like you you felt a lot of the excitement. You were almost there, and you couldn't quite. And and it, that's going to be a bummer. That's going to. Yeah. But I think Bears fans are smart enough now. I think there's a lot of great executives in all different sports in this city. There's great journalists. We know what's happening. I'm. It's not your responsibility as a Bears fan to think this way. Mm-hmm. Ride or die with your team on wins and losses. Enjoy or hate your Sunday. That is your right. That's your privilege as a sports fan. But if you're looking for the, all right, now that I'm done with that, what is the actual rational thing? Everything is going to be fine. At least it looks that way. You would have loved to have won this game, but you have seen some interesting things. And again, if you are not sure about this, how good would Detroit have looked had Justin been on the other side? Always Mm -hmm. just start thinking about swapping that talent. Right now, at, you know, breaking the fourth wall as we're having this conversation, we're watching this game between Minnesota and Buffalo. And it just, there is crazy talent, but look how good Kirk Cousins looks with TJ Hawkinson, with mm-hmm. Adam Thielen, and with Justin Jefferson. Now, what happens when Justin Fields, who now has to be respected as a passer and a thrower, as a thrower, as a passer, as a runner, as a football player, all the intangibles, all the little things that you want to mark for or against him, he does. So now you got to be honest. Defenses do if they bring in those talents. But marvelous. We're going to be on Twitter at SportsCubicleTV, seeing how everybody responds to this, of course, on the comment section below. Any final thoughts as the Chicago Bears fall to the Detroit Lions 30-31? to 31. An exciting game, but once yeah. again, the Bears fall a little short. It's exhausting being a Chicago fan sometimes. <laughs> that's why that's my bottom line. And uh, uh, the Bears, um, I still think, are on the right track, but the, the math <laughs> isn't showing that yet. So that's, that's the trade-off. And uh, there's a lot of positive statistics offensively. Two straight games lost by uh, single possessions where both teams scored 30 points. So I mean, obviously, you either got to score more than they do, <laughs> one way or the other, either by getting them better, de- either by holding the other team better, or by scoring more points. But I don't think they're going to score much more points. I think the defense is going to end up being the key here to wins in the future. We want to know your thoughts. We're on Twitter at Sports Cubicle TV. The Chicago Bears fall to the Detroit Lions, thirty to thirty-one, moving their record to three and seven. We got a lot left here on the Sports Cubicle. It's the marvelous one, Dan Marver. It's Devin Tingle. It's Paul Shavari. I'm Mike Mercado. Well, as we wrap up another week of NFL football, one of the bigger stories during the week was the Indianapolis Colts parting ways with their head coach, Frank Reich. They decided to promote from outside Jeff Saturday, a former center, a Hall of Famer, with uh, with the team played in the Peyton Manning era. Um, now now Saturday uh, goes on to get his first victory against the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. Um, I'm not going to talk about that, even though I'm sure you uh, are all curious as to what my thoughts were. Um, and, and despite the fact that uh, I say Saturday is a Hall of Famer, but he has uh, not made it 
in there yet. More than likely, he probably will be. Um, you know, as uh, an All-Pro, six-time Pro Bowler, a Super Bowl champion, was the center for Peyton Manning. It's probably going to happen. Um, either way, a, a big player in uh, Indianapolis Colts history. This is a guy on the um, Indianapolis Colts Ring of Honor as he was inducted in, in 2015. Um, you know, great college player as well, uh, coming out of North Carolina. And Saturday only had coaching experience coaching a high school football team, uh, Hebron uh, Christian Academy back in uh, 2017. He resigned, uh, you know, after the 2019 season. In his three seasons, he only went 20 and 16. He made the playoffs every year, won three playoff uh, playoff games, including a a, uh, state quarterfinal, and this was in the state of Georgia. Uh, but other than that, he never really worked in the NFL as uh, as a coach. And so um, he was working in um, uh, television as an analyst uh, before he was promoted by the um, um, the Colts, or at least uh, hired by the Colts, uh, Colts I should say. Uh, and uh, their general manager, Chris Ballard, said that uh, they tried to hire him in 2019 as an offensive line coach um, and, and also for a position prior to this season. So he was always kind of on the radar. And of course, this is very indicative of Jim Ursay, the owner of the Colts and some of the moves that, that he makes. And the, the biggest controversy about this is, you know, did the, did the Colts violate the Rooney rule for not interviewing a minority candidate? And of course there's, been for years there's been um speculation of of um borderline collusion against minority candidates uh we saw you know what's what's unfolding with Brian Flores and the way he was fired from the Miami Dolphins and there's just you know, surprisingly not a lot of African American head coaches considering uh, a majority of the league is African American and and it just seems like some favoritism that might be racially biased and I think with this go around, maybe it's not as egregious that the Rooney rule was bypassed uh, since it's midseason. Um, but with it being an outside hire, um, I don't know how the Colts conducted business. I- I'm assuming there was never an interview process. Um, I know that they also fired their offensive coordinator. So, th- so the coordinator that they had for today's game against the Raiders was someone that's never been an offensive coordinator before. So, so an entire shakeup in the coaching staff for the Colts. I, I think if you want to talk about maybe an egregious um, bypassing of the Rooney rule that never got checked by the league was when the Raiders, then Oakland Raiders, just a few years ago, and their infamous uh, uh, hiring of John Gruden for his second stint. And we all know how that turned out, and especially with some of the uh, racist emails that were uncovered with, with Gruden. And there was no punishment to the Raiders for it. And, you know, they, they, they straight up hired Gruden without interviewing anybody. And it, it was, that I think is definitely something where you can point to, well, hey, the Rooney rule was violated. This one's going to be interesting with Jeff Saturday because if he gets the interim tag removed at the end of the season, then maybe you could say that that this is um, you know something that they violated the Rooney rule. Now, of course, 
I think by removing the interim tag, maybe the, the Colts might do their due diligence and, and interview other candidates in which all they have to do is interview one minority candidate and it fulfills the this rule. But I, I don't know how that works. If, if you know, the, the Colts, could they legally get around the rule by just removing the interim tag at the end of the season, assuming that they feel that the job that Jeff Saturday was uh, did was adequate? And I don't know. And, and I think that's where, you know, we have to get somebody that that covers the league, you know, like a beat writer, someone that knows the rules, the ins and outs of the business of the league that, that could really answer that for us. But, um, you know, once again, it just kind of shows that the NFL is a good old boys club and, and minority candidates don't get the favor, the favored looks, the, um, the you know, the looks that that guys like Jeff Saturday got, you know, and, and it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the season goes. I mean, he gets the win today in his first game, albeit uh, the Raiders are a mess, you know, so I I don't know if I would put too much stock in it if I was a Colts fan, but uh, a win is a win. It's a good debut for Jeff Saturday, and uh, we'll see if he's good enough to continue being a coach in this league. I have a feeling, though, that if he is going to continue being a head coach in this league, it would only be for the Colts, and he would have to win a Super Bowl or be consistently a winner um, in order to find a coaching position beyond the Colts, assuming that that's what he wants to do. He's fairly young. He's only 47 years old. Um, you know, we'll see what the, the next 10, 15 years bring in his career. But um, very, very interesting that that's what the Colts decided to do. And it's a story that we're going to keep an eye on here at the Sports Cubicle. But we will head to break right now. And when we come back, Mike Mercado is going to talk about the Chicago Bulls. I'll get into a little bit of what happened at the MLB GM meetings and some of the awards going around after the 2022 Major League Baseball season. All up next on the Sports Cubicle. Let's shift gears here on the Sports Cubicle with the marvelous one, Dan Marver, Devin Single, Paul Shavari, and myself, Mike Mercado. I want to head to the west side, onto the hardwood, to talk a little Chicago Bulls over the last few weeks. Again, a team marvelous that just seems to win to, lose to. Can't get Zach on the court, and then when he is, looks like a super stud, and then five minutes later, looks like he has no knees on him. It has been an interesting watch, to say the least. For this Chicago Bulls team, marvelous. Your thoughts as this Bulls team on as of this recording will be taking on the Denver Nuggets at the United Center. But I mean, it, it's a week full of Nuggets and Pelicans and Magic for chances to get right before you meet the Celtics, Bucks, and a surprising Jazz team later on. Absolutely correct. You're right about the win one, lose lose one. They're six and seven at the moment, and. They had the last weekend, the home-and-home home of Toronto, which they split. Then the Pelicans came in and beat them on Wednesday, and they really should be well-rested. They have, they've had the Thursday and Friday off. So, uh, you know, obviously those are the games they actually be able to play since he's had some time off. So they might be able to have their full complement tonight and uh, and uh, and get it done. But uh, uh, they're just inconsistent is what the problem's been so far. Still relying too much on DeRozan. Uh, who's been, you know, very potent in most games. Uh, you got, you're going to have some trouble with the center, Jokic, obviously, for uh, the Nuggets. And uh, they have six players that are averaging in double figures, so they're very uh, <laughs> much a, a balanced team. So um, 
DeRozan's averaging 24.5 points per game and 50.7 from the floor, and Zayek's averaging 22 a game. So that's the one-two punch. It'd be nice to get you know a, a third scorer to take some of the heat off of these guys. But uh, uh, Abby's officially, they don't have anybody in the injury list other than the ball, so that's a good thing. And uh, I think that they should be able to take this by uh, – but, you know, but it should be able to, like, a two-score victory, something like that. I think they're going to be able to win this game. And uh, uh, they're just, you know, they should be well-rested, and they should have everybody together, full complement of players. So I, I like their chances against Denver. So I think they this is a team that could still win the games they're supposed to. We've seen them beat the teams that, quote-unquote, they're not supposed to. But I this is my what worries me. Obviously, you're relying on the, DeMar a lot. And he's still the marvelous. We have our marvelous. They have their the marvelous. <laughs> Zach coming off screens. Zach going to the lane. Zach trying to put the ball down a defender's face is not happening. It does not look good. That knee does not look good. And he is settling for half court three pointers from the logo three pointers. He's making them. He's bailing them out. And there are times where he's like NBA jamming just on fire. But it is worrisome. That this phantom injury that nobody sh- is worried about, but he doesn't play certain back-to-backs, plays against certain marquee teams, but doesn't, and then plays against the bum teams, as they're called. <laughs> there is some, I think for me, the guy that you spend a lot of money, that earned it, but you spend a lot of money on, are they being conservative and hoping that let's just stay out of the play-in and get everybody healthy by then? Or is just is this just the reality of, there's a guy who's always had bad knees, who gives it his all, and because he gives it his all, he's going to be sore and and have some interesting feeling uh, feeling in his legs, and it's going to be pain management and tolerance. Where do you think it, it falls in that line? Is it being conservative or is it worrisome? Well, I think conservative is what they're doing because they don't want to result in a long-term injury to, uh, to Levine, but what does he need then? Does he ultimately need surgery? And and maybe that's something they should do sooner rather than later if that's the ultimate need rather than making it worse by him playing. I'm not sure exactly the nature of the injury. It hasn't been that defined to me <laughs> personally. So he's, he's being able to play through it. They think he can play a game here and there and maybe limit the minutes. And I'd rather see a long-term Zach and a healthy Zach. So uh, I'm I'm conflicted on this the way it's going, but uh, they need another scorer. That's the thing. They, they can't they can't just keep on relying on DeRozan and Levine when he plays as, as scorers. They just need some pump from somewhere else, and I thought they might get it, but so far that has not happened to any great degree. <laughs> Are the Bulls good? Marvelous? <laughs> well, six and seven is about average, isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you look at the math, it's, they're kind of an average team, but on the other hand, uh, I think they actually started out better last year. They, I don't. I think their seventh loss came after not 13 games, but 23 or 33. I think they really got off to a tremendous start last year. And, you know, in a game against the Pelicans, which they lost at home on Wednesday, they weren't all that impressive. I mean, Rosen got his 33 and Levine, Levine 23, Vukovic 18. But uh, they did get 14 from Dragic. So, I mean, these guys do contribute some. Williams and Dasunu had seven. It's just that the... Uh, they got to be a little bit more balanced, a little bit less predictable. And uh, I mean, even still, the three point production isn't what I like. So um, they have to improve on that, too. I mean, they were uh, seven of 27 in the last game, and they're still not 
terrific in three pointers. So um, these are things that they need to improve on in order to be effective. So at the moment, I don't think they're a great team. I think they're a better than average team, maybe bordering on the good. <laughs> I'm so glad also that you brought in Goran, Goran, uh, Goran Dragic. And the reason I asked if they're good, the w- first thing you want to be and the thing you want to avoid is being in basketball hell. His organization has been there before, and it is the worst thing in sports because it's so hard to get out of. But guys like Dragic and guys like Drummond and guys like Caruso are supposed to be luxuries. And right now they're depending on them way too much. They're depending on Dalen Terry. They're depending on Io. They're depending on these dudes to help carry their team. And that can't be the case. These should be complementary players. These should be guys that help make your team look better. Javante Green should not be the, the best player on the court any given time just off of his hustle. So those are the things, if you're looking how things can get better for the Bulls, it's that. Tighten those things up, and you can avoid the play-in, and who knows? It's crazy. You're not winning the finals, but you might win a series, and that's the goal step-by-step. But Marvelous, any uh, final thoughts? Uh, we have a, a game tonight. If you're listening to WCPT, the Bulls will be playing as you're listening to this episode. But a, a, a fun week of basketball coming up. But any final thoughts on the week that was in the West Side at the United Center for your and ours and the Chicago Bulls? Like I say, I mean, it was disappointing to lose the Pelicans, but they did split with the Raptors. And it's going to be an interesting week because they play the Pelicans again on the road Wednesday. And after the Magic at home Friday, they then have a back to back, so to speak, next Monday and next Wednesday, Celtics here and Bucks on the road. So that should be an interesting indicator because those are teams they need to beat eventually, and they haven't been very consistent in beating. <laughs> uh, so we'll definitely be keeping our eyes on that. But we want to know your thoughts. The week that was for the Chicago Bulls, how are you feeling? A team that's six and seven, a game under 500, but this is a team that will win two, lose two. Is it frustrating? Is it what you expected? How can they get out of this mundane routine? We're on Twitter at Sports Cubicle TV. It's the marvelous one, Dan Marber. It's Devin Tingle. It's Paul Shivari. I'm Mike Mercado. We normally don't talk about high school sports here on the Sports Cubicle, uh, but as the fall season is winding down, the the football playoffs here in the state are winding down with the semifinals coming up next weekend. And then, of course, Thanksgiving weekend, the state finals. Winter sports are underway. Some of the basketball games going on amongst some of the other winter sports, including hockey, which doesn't fall under IHSA. It's kind of an independent body. Uh, But some devastating news to report from the weekend. The St. Ignatius College Prep Junior Varsity Hockey Team was involved in a serious accident. Their their bus uh, collided with an erratic driver that was driving, uh, charged with operating with intoxication. And right now, everyone has survived as far as we know. There were three students that uh, were in critical condition initially, but it was reported by the police that their situations have been upgraded to stable. One of the students was ejected from the bus, three needed surgery, and just a a, a terrible accident in, in, in which the driver of the truck was swerving in and out of lanes, driving at excessive speed. It was already reported the police were already aware of the driver before the accident took place, but the uh, bus driver, I'm, I'm sorry, the, the truck driver, Sideswiped the bus and uh, tipped the bus onto its side. The pictures are horrific. Uh, thankfully, everyone survived the accident. Don't know the extent of the injuries. These are boys aged 14 to 17 that play in this hockey team. 
Uh, they were down to uh, play in Culver, Indiana. They played the Culver Military Academy. They were heading back to their hotel room in Warsaw, Indiana. Had just eaten. Um, you know, from someone that has traveled on team buses, you know, the atmosphere was was probably before this accident was was probably you know one where these boys were looking forward to getting to hang out at the hotel and 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 you know get to get to have that bonding experience at the hotel. And it's always the worst nightmare for these travel teams. You know, these situations we've we've heard about, you know, in the past, some some fatal accidents with with sports teams that were, um, you know, whether high school or college, um, you know, in serious accidents. And and this was just shocking to see this uh, reported late last night and and just following the updates today. And I, and I felt it was uh, definitely something we needed to cover here on the sports cubicle here with this being a local story you know, a, a Chicago high school junior junior varsity hockey team. Um, you know, it, it's it's something we'll keep an eye on going forward. But but we're thankful to hear that there were no fatalities. Uh, we're we're thankful that the driver of the the truck has been charged, and there may be more charges pending. Um, but but the officers on the scene detected a strong odor of an alcoholic beverage um, on his person and in the cab of the semi. Uh, the driver was turning left onto U.S. Route 30 when the, I'm sorry, the bus was turning left onto to U.S. 30 when the semi-driver uh, went through a red light, struck the rear of the bus, flipping the bus on its side. Uh, just just horrible, horrible to hear that. And our, and our thoughts are with St. Ignatius, uh, the families, the students, and especially that junior varsity hockey team uh, that was in this, involved in this accident. We pray for your recovery. This was a story that was brought up to me by one of my colleagues here at WCPT 820. Back in September, a basketball court was uh, dedicated in Joliet uh, by the Joliet Park District. It was it was really um, Body Armor in partnership with Vanessa Bryant and the uh, Mamba and Mambasita Foundation, which is dedicated to the memory of Kobe Bryant and, and his daughter who died in a uh, helicopter crash. Just about a little under three years ago, um, the the uh, foundation was partnering with Body Armor to renovate courts around the United States. They were going to do ten different courts. Some of the cities that they were choosing included Philadelphia, Detroit, amongst others. But the first one they did was in Joliet, and at Noel Park in Joliet, the court was dedicated back in September. Uh, ten thousand dollars was donated by Body Armor for uh, promoting youth sports. Um, and the foundation was created with the intention of providing inspiration through sports to youth around the country. And, you know, they renovated the court. They painted it the yellow and purple, like the Lakers colors, uh, the numbers eight and two, which were uh, Kobe's number and uh, his daughter Gianna's number on their jerseys, uh, imprinted on the keys of the court. And uh, just all around, I-, I thought that was just really neat and something that, uh, needed to be brought to uh, everyone's attention. It was not on my radar, and I'm thankful to a friend of mine that that gave me this information. The baseball general manager meetings wrapped up this week in Las Vegas. Not a lot of action in the hot stove, which is usually about the case, uh, as this is just fresh off of the World Series. Teams still kind of situating themselves before the free agent period began this week. Um, there were qualifying offers that were divvied out the qualifying offer was a one-year 19.65 million dollar deal no one locally as the uh, White Sox and Cubs did not have um, anybody eligible uh, as Jose Abreu AJ Pollock 
both have already been offered qualifying offers previously in their career, and Elvis Andrews did not play a full season. Um, usually the hot stove doesn't really get going until you know the first big free agent kind of comes off the block, and that kind of dictates how the rest of the market will go. I mean, you will see some of the... Uh, the guys that aren't necessarily household names like Aaron Judge or Carlos Correa, you know, more, more of that next tier of players will probably be the first players to go. Um, but you'll start seeing it move fast. And I think uh, we've seen in the past that, you know, sometimes pitching gets uh, gobbled up very early. And this year you've got uh, Jacob deGrom is on the list. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, who's probably going to head back to the, the Dodgers. Um, can't see why he wouldn't. Uh, Carlos Rodon, who was a free agent last year. Um, you know, so I think we'll see some action in the coming weeks here, especially with the winter meetings approaching after Thanksgiving when, you know, in December. Um, this is going to be a nice offseason, though, because there's no lockout. There, You know, the collective bargaining agreement is extended way past this year. It's, a, you know, for I think at least two or three more years that uh, their, their, their contract is good for. Uh, whereas if you remember last offseason, things shut down in December with that lockout. Didn't get going until about the time that the season was scheduled to start initially. And if you remember, the season was pushed back a couple of weeks. They condensed as much as they could to try and get a full 162-game schedule. And that's why the World Series ended at such a late time, uh, with November 6th being or November 5th being the day that everything wrapped up. Uh, but I wanted to get to uh, you know, Gold Glove. We got to talk about Ian Happ from the Cubs winning his first ever Gold Glove. Congratulations to him. He is the fourth outfielder in Cubs history to win a Gold Glove Award. Now, to answer the trivia question for you, who were the other three? Jason Hayward won in 2016 and 2017. Andre Dawson won in 1987 and 88. And Bob Dernier in 1984. Uh, Haps 8.3 user zone rating was the highest of all MLB left fielders, so congratulations to him. No White Sox on the list of Gold Glove winners this year as the White Sox were one of the worst teams defensively in the league. As far as the Silver Slugger Award, nobody locally winning it as well. Uh, both teams underwhelmed offensively. Um, I think there were a few guys that made it into the finalists uh, for, for the award, but uh, nobody uh, of note winning uh, the award here locally. And this week there will be the uh, Baseball Writers Association Awards. Uh, so on, uh, tomorrow night, Monday, you'll you'll see the Jackie Robinson Rookies of the Year, in which your finalists are in the American League, uh, going to be Stephen Kwan, the left fielder from the Guardians, Julio Rodriguez, the center fielder from the Mariners, and Adley Rutschman, the catcher from the Orioles. More than likely, it's probably going to be Julio Rodriguez winning the award. He was... Um, uh, you know, one, one of the most electric players, batted 284, 28 home runs, 25 stolen bases, uh, 147 OPS. Um, unfortunately, Jeremy Pena, this this is an, an award for the regular season. So Jeremy Pena, who had an amazing postseason with the Houston Astros, a historic uh, postseason with the Astros, will not be eligible. Uh, well, I shouldn't say he, sh- he won't be eligible. He just didn't make the cut. What Not one of the finalists. His, his regular season, just not as impressive as his postseason. In the National League, your finalists are Brennan Donovan from the Cardinals, who played um, all over the field. He appeared at every infield in, uh, position, both corner outfield spots. He batted 281, 394 on base percentage. And then a couple of Braves players, Michael Harris, the second in center field, who was called up in May, probably not going to be the front runner here. Uh, but Spencer Strider, probably the odds on favorite. It's going to be either Donovan or Strider, in my opinion. 
Uh, Strider went 11 and 5, 267 ERA, 202 strikeouts, which was the most by a rookie pitcher since Hugh Darvish 10 years ago. And Strider's 16 strikeouts against the Rockies on September 1st were the most by any pitcher in a game this season. Uh, manager of the year will be taking place the day after that. Uh, your managers of the year, uh, finalist Dave Roberts from the Dodgers, Buck Showalter from the Mets, Brian Snicker from the Braves. I could see Showalter winning it, but at the same time, Snicker was the, uh, the Braves were the champion of the NL East, kind of slipped by the Mets late in the season. So that could be someone that you could see getting that. And the American League side, you had Terry Francona from the Guardians, Brandon Hyde from the Orioles, Scott Service from the Mariners. That could really go to anybody. I could see Service winning it. But at the same time, you got to hand it to Francona. Not a lot of people expected the Guardians to do well with their low payroll. payroll. Um, and he ended up, uh, you know, Francona leading the Guardians uh, to the division title. It's the fourth division title in 10 seasons for Francona with the Guardians. Uh, after that, you will see the Cy Young Award winners on Wednesday night uh, in the National League. Sandy Alcantara with the Marlins, probably the odds-on favorite. Max Fried from the Braves. Julio Urias with the Dodgers. In the American League, a local boy, Dylan Cease, possibly the favorite. If not, he's going to lose to Justin Verlander. Alec Manoa rounding out the list of finalists. And the big one on Thursday, your MVP award finalist, Jordan Alvarez in the American League for the Astros. Aaron Judge for the Yankees and Shohei Otani for the Angels. It's going to be either Judge or Otani, and that's a debate for a different day. Um, I'm not going to have it for you here. Personally, I think Judge deserves it. Uh, he had the higher war. He hit the 62 home runs, which is now the American League record, surpassing Roger Maris. Uh, but at the same time, Shohei Otani, Shohei Otani, and he's doing crazy things that have never been done in baseball before because he's both a starting pitcher and a prolific designated hitter. Um, so it should be interesting. And, of course, Otani won it last year. Hey, but that's going to do it for Devin Tingle, Mike Mercado, and Dan Marver. I'm Paul Shavari. Thank you for listening to WCPT 820, where facts matter. Santita starts your week tomorrow, 6 a.m., free Brittany Griner. We'll see you next week.